Alright, so if you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, and chapter 9. So last week we saw that the nation of Israel, they experienced revival, that they turned from worshiping idols, and they began to follow Samuel's godly leadership. We saw then Samuel grow old there in that chapter, in chapter 7. And by the end of that chapter, well, beginning of chapter 8, we saw that Samuel's sons did not turn out like he was, to be a godly, just, faithful, honest individual as a judge. And because of that, the the nation of Israel had an excuse that they used to demand that they get a king like all the other nations around them. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And remember, God told Samuel, not to worry, they're not rejecting you as their leader. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting God. And now in chapter 9, we find in chapters 9 and 10 tonight, that Israel receives the king that they're desiring. God gives them the kind of man that they would want to be their king. But he turns out not to be the kind of man that God would want to be their king. But he gives them their desire anyway to teach a lesson. And at first, everything will look good. In, in these two chapters, everything appears good on the surface. And in chapters 9 and 10 of 1 Samuel, we see three events tonight where we learn that God gave Israel just the person they wanted to be king. And it pleased them for the moment. But as we shall see in future chapters, this was not the man that God would have to continue to reign as the king of Israel. In these three events tonight, we're going to see Saul being called to be the king. Then we're going to see Saul being anointed as the king. And finally, we will see Saul presented as the king. So let's first look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 27, as we see Saul is called to be the king. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, the son of Becheroth, the son of Ephiah, a Benjaminite, a mighty, man, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders upward he was higher than any of the people. And the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise and seek the donkeys. Now notice in the first couple of verses, notice in the first couple of verses, Saul is a good-looking guy. He's taller shoulders up than anyone else. Yep. He's good. He looks the part. He looks the part of becoming king. And that's going to be repeated later in these passages, in these, in these two chapters. And when he is needed, when there is a need for someone to go out and lead the servants out and find the donkeys, his father, his uncle as well, as we'll see later in the passage, um, will trust him to do the job and send him out to do it here. And God's going to use this situation to bring Saul. He uses the loss of Kish's donkeys to bring Saul to Samuel. Let's continue reading in verse 4. And he passed through the Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalasha. But they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not. 
And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return. Let my father leave caring for the donkeys, and lest my father leave caring for the donkeys and take thought for us. So, in other words, Saul is saying, and, and he's, he's showing he has some wisdom, some human wisdom, some common sense here, and some care for his father and what his father thinks. And he says, you know, we're, we've been out so long looking for the donkeys that if we stay out here any longer, they're going to send people looking for us. You know, they're going to stop worrying about the donkeys being lost and wish we were back there and wonder what happened to us. Wonder if something happened, you know, if, if somebody stole the donkeys and we found them, maybe, you know, something happened to us in that whole event and father will start to worry. So he, he's wise in, in taking that into account. He's showing he has some earthly wisdom. Now look at uh, verse 6. And he said unto him, Behold, now there is in the city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. And all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels. And there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And so Saul is saying to his servant that they should go home. And his servant apparently says, well, wait a minute. There's a man of God here in this city. And we can go inquire of him and he can tell us where the donkeys are. But Saul says, wait, what are we going to give the man of God? What are we going to give him as a payment we, we don't really have anything. They don't have any bread left to pay with, and there's no suitable gift that they can bring to the man of God. What have we? All right, so Saul again, he's coming up with reasoning as his servant is suggesting another course of action. Let's look at verse 8. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. It seems fairly generous for, for someone who works for someone to offer their own money. Perhaps he believes he'll be repaid for that, but he's, he's, nonetheless he's willing to use his own money for on behalf of his master to get the information they need so that they can have a successful journey, that they wouldn't just return empty-handed to his master, and that, so that uh, they could pay the man of God to tell them where the donkeys are. That's what you see happening here in verse 8. The servant's volunteering his own money. Verse 9. And notice uh, verse 9. Before in Israel... When a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Someone who, who sees God's will or understands God's direction. All right, and that is speaking of Samuel. Verse 10. And then said Saul to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city. For there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. So there just happens to be, they just happen to come in the city where Samuel is, and I believe God is directing through the loss of the donkeys, he's directing Saul to come to where Samuel is, and he just happens to come to the city where Samuel is, and he not only just happens to come to the city where Samuel is, 
but they come upon a group of people who knows exactly where Samuel is, and Samuel is offering a sacrifice to God there. So everything is working out, this chain of events, to bring Saul into contact with Samuel. Because Samuel is selecting Saul as the person that fits the description of the type of person Israel would want to be their king. Look at verse 11. No, excuse me, verse 13. And as soon as ye be come into, into the city, ye shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice. It's kind of an interesting situation here. The people are waiting for Samuel to get there before the sacrifice. They need him to get there. There's going to be a similar situation happen when Saul is king where the people are waiting for Samuel to come and give the blessing, Samuel to come and pray and give the sacrifice. And Saul is supposed to wait until Samuel gets there, and he doesn't wait. He offers the sacrifice and begins the end of his rule. You know, God is saying he's not always going to rule. Your descendants are not always going to rule. And then another event's going to happen where Saul further disobeys and further seals the fate of Saul's a family as not being continuing in their reign over Israel. It's interesting, though, that here you have that situation. People are waiting for Samuel to bless the sacrifice. Now, at the end of verse 13, Now, therefore, get you up, for about this time you shall find him. Verse 14. And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Samuel came, saying, So, so far, God has used the circumstance of the lost donkeys to bring Saul to Samuel. Now, in the same passage, you are seeing God revealed, had revealed already to Samuel that Saul is coming. So, um, God is working in this situation. He's working to bring Saul, and then he's telling Samuel that that's what's happening. He's bringing Saul to Samuel. Verse 16, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain, in other words, a leader, over my people Israel that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. So God did have a purpose for Saul, a, Saul, a purpose that Saul will fulfill for a time. And that purpose is to deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines. So he is going to use Saul for that good purpose. And that's going to be the successful part of Saul's leadership. In the end of verse 16, it says, For I looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. Remember, in the New Testament, Jesus once uh, tells the disciples, uh, he, he gives the story of the unjust judge. He gives the example of an unjust judge, that the widow comes to you day after day and makes her request to the unjust judge, who does not want to hear her case. And finally, he hears her case, and gives her the justice she's looking for in her case. And he uses that example. If even an unjust judge will do that, how much more will God hear your petition when you bring it faithfully to him? You see that in the New Testament. You see that principle right here in the Old Testament where he hears the cry of his people at the end of verse 16. Now in verse 17, and when Samuel saw when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. This same shall reign over my people. And and with reign, that word reign there's an there's a sense of controlling, of holding them back, kind of like the same word it, it's it's there's a reason that word reign 
It's the same word that's used for the reins on a horse. It's the same idea. It's um, reigning over people and reigning in a horse. It's the same word, the same idea, uh, which is uh, interesting that he's using that as the description of Saul. That he's going to rein them in. He's going to use Saul to teach them a valuable lesson about their leadership and that they should be trusting in God and waiting on God for their leadership rather than demanding a king just so they can be like all the other nations and so they can be economically strong and militarily strong. And that's what they were concerned of and about in the previous chapter. And now he's going to use Saul. He's going to use his leadership there first. He's going to use him to deliver his people who are crying out to him for deliverance from their enemies of the Philippines. He's going to use them to accomplish that purpose, that good purpose. And then he's also going to use them to rein in his people a little bit and, and teach them a valuable lesson about their leadership, which is that they should be looking to God for their leadership and not looking around at the other nations around them and be demanding to be just like the other nations. God has set the people of Israel apart for a reason. And so not every aspect of their government is going to be the same as everyone around them. And Ultimately, we're going to see in these two chapters here, God's going to remind them through Samuel that they're rejecting God by demanding a king. And God's going to use Saul now for specific purposes. He calls Saul as the king. In fact, later on when David has the opportunity to kill Saul, and earthly wisdom would tell him, why not? He's trying to kill you. It's only right that you should kill him. But David said, I cannot do that. It's the Lord's anointed. God called Saul to be king for a time. And until God ended that time, David waited, even though he had been anointed to be king. But at that time in his life, when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, David waited for Saul's time to end without intervening. Unlike, unlike the people of Israel in the previous chapter and in these two chapters who do not wait for God's time of the rule of the judges to come to an end in God's time. They are, not, they are demanding a king right now. So instead of waiting for God's leadership and God's timing, they're demanding a king and God's going to give them what they wanted but he's going to have a certain purpose in mind for that. It gives them just the kind of man they would like, but he's going to teach them valuable lessons in the process. So verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, and, and you'll notice here uh, when he starts to talk with him, Saul does not know it is Samuel. You know, as the narrator, which is probably Samuel, writing this passage, we can see Saul is talking to Samuel. But Saul, from his perspective, does not know that it's Samuel, as you'll see here. Verse 18, tell me, Saul says to Samuel, tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine donkeys that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee? and on all thy father's house. So here now, we see God had revealed his calling of Saul to Samuel, and now Samuel is going to honor God's calling of Saul. Samuel's not going to interject himself and protest any further. He's going to submit himself to God's will, and even though his sons are being rejected, his, and, and, and Saul, Samuel had felt like his leadership was ultimately being rejected, but God had told him in the previous chapter, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. It's, they're rejecting God, not Samuel. And Samuel's going to comply now with God's will to, to go ahead and give the people their request, to grant them their wish, 
and make Saul the king. And so Saul is honored here in the following verses by Samuel. And Saul recognizes that Samuel is honoring him, and let's look at his response. And notice the word desire of Israel. On whom is all the desire of Israel? That word desire, it's the same word as lust. Uh, was, when I was studying this, it, it brought that out a little bit, that it's the same word. So the word desire can have a positive a positive aspect or a negative aspect, depending on whether it's a good or bad desire. In this case, it's a little bit more of a bad desire because they're lusting. They're looking at all, they're coveting. They're looking at all the nations around them and saying, we want a good, strong king like all the other nations around us have. And so this is exactly the man that they would like to have as their king. And that's what Samuel's pointing out. God's going to give them the type of man they would want. They wishing, they're wishing for a king, like all the other nations, and God's going to give them that wish. Verse 21. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Am I family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the cheapest place among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took the shoulder, that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee, and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. So Samuel was expecting Saul. He's been waiting for him. He's been preparing for him. He knows who Saul is. Even though, as we saw just in, the, in those previous verses, Saul didn't even know who Samuel was. Samuel had no idea what was about to happen. But God did. God told Samuel. And now Samuel is revealing that to Saul. And at first, Saul is, is, tries to reject this honor he's being given, but then he begins to accept it, still not probably fully aware of what's happening. But he, he realizes, you know, this is the man of God, so whatever's happening here, I'll go with it right now and take it from here. But Saul has a little bit of a... Seems, it seems like a humility. Later on, that, that disappears completely. Um, so it might have been a false humility. Um, but he is surprised to be honored in this way. Now, back in chapter, uh, in this chapter, chapter 9, in the first verse of chapter 9, when it says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zior, the son of Bechereth, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Saul is kind of downplaying his position. You know, when he's saying in verse 21, Am not I a Benjaminite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? That's not exactly the case. He's downplaying his role. He's actually of a good heritage. Benjamin is a good tribe. And they, they, had, they had been the tribe that was repelling the other tribes in that civil war that they fought um, in the book of Judges. That, uh, for those of you that were here, in, I think we had it in the, finished the book of Judges in the Wednesday night service with Pastor Murray. And uh, Benjamin, Benjamin was defeated ultimately, but there was provision made for their tribe to continue on. And God used that civil war to correct, to punish, if you will, the children of Israel for their sins, particularly Benjamin, but also the whole nation, I believe. But Benjamin was a strong and mighty, uh, they were good at fighting wars, where they would not have been able to put up such a fight against all the other tribes combined against them. And so they, they were a warlike, a warrior tribe, if you will. 
it calls him a mighty man in verse 1. Uh, his family, his household, uh, his father is a mighty man. And so he is downplaying his position a little bit. And so God is picking someone with a bit of a pedigree here who is, is someone who, who has a good resume for the job of king. He looks good. He's from a good family, from a, a warrior tribe, a good tribe, a favored tribe. If you remember going all the way back to Benjamin himself, he was the favorite son of Jacob. You know, he was a favored son. And so Benjamin, even though it's a small tribe, he down, he's downplaying it in verse 21. He really has a good pedigree, a good resume, if you will, for the position here of king. But he downplays it in verse 21. Verse 22. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them to sit in the chiefest place among... I believe we already read that. Yes. All right, so he, Saul downplays his position, but he is elevated by Samuel, giving him the, 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 the best seat in the house and give him the best cut of the meal that was reserved especially for him. And Saul did eat, you see, at the end of verse 24. So Saul goes, in, in the end, although he protests at first, he accepts the honor that Samuel is giving to him. After all, Samuel is the man of God, and he needs to submit himself to Samuel, even in receiving this honor. Now, verse 25. And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul rose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servants pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. So now Samuel, excuse me, God has brought Saul to Samuel. That's what we've seen in this chapter. He's calling Saul to be the king. And now Samuel is bringing Saul to God. He's going to show Saul, you see in the verse 27, the word of God. And so that was the first event here was Saul was called to be the king. The second event in, verse, in verses 1 through 16 of chapter 10 is that Saul is anointed to be the king. God brought Saul to Samuel. Now Samuel's bringing Saul to God and Saul is anointing Saul is anointed as the king. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Again, the word captain refers to leader. And so first, Saul is anointed with oil. That's here in verse 1. And the oil, is, it's not magical. It's just a picture of Saul being chosen by God for a purpose. And this purpose is to be the captain of Israel, the leader of Israel, the king that Israel wants. God's going to anoint him as that king. Now later on, God's going to anoint a man after God's own heart, David. Here, he's anointing the man that the people want as the king, but he's going to use that for a purpose. Next, we're going to see in the following verses, so verse 1, Saul is anointed with oil. In the following verses, Saul is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 2. Samuel says to Saul, When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher, in the border of Benjamin, at Zelza. And they will say unto thee, The donkeys which thou wentest to seek are found. 
And lo, thy father hath left the care of the donkeys and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Remember, that's exactly what Saul had been worried about, had been concerned about, was that his father would stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying for him. And two men are going to tell him this on his way back, is what Samuel is foretelling to Saul in this verse. Verse 3. Then shalt thou go on forward from that place, from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. So three men, two of them carrying three things, and one carrying a bottle of wine. Verse 4, They will salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of, thy, of their hands. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp. Before them they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days thou shalt tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so. And when he had turned back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass, when all that knew him beforehand saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And one of the same place answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? That became a saying. Um, in other words, kind of like the saying that is said in Jesus' time to Jesus, does any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is Saul among the prophets? It's kind of the same idea. It's, in other words, you would think not. You would think not. Is Saul a prophet? No. Why is this happening? This is strange, in other words. So it's a proverb. It's a saying. Is Saul among the prophets? It's probably uh, among the prophets. That's probably something that they would continue to say, as as kind of one of one of like we have cliches that we would say. Um, that uh, if something was out of the ordinary, if something was very strange, if something doesn't fit in future days, they just would say, "Is Saul among the prophets?" You know. Um, in other words, I don't think so. This is strange. This is not doesn't seem right. This is out of place. Something's wrong. Something's different here. Uh, so that's the idea here, is that this becomes a proverb, and it's all for a sign. So Samuel gives Saul a list of things that are going to happen, and they all happen. And it's, uh, it is the anointing of God's Holy Spirit on Saul. First he's anointed with oil. Nothing magical there. But then you do have the supernatural power of God come upon Saul, and there's all these signs that are fulfilled in Saul that's showing that God is choosing him for a certain purpose. And that purpose is to become the king. But he anoints him with his Holy Spirit. And remember, I've, I've mentioned this before, that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, his interactions with man is, are different than in the New Testament, than after Pentecost, I should say. Because in the Old Testament, before Pentecost, before the church begins, 
the Holy Spirit would only be sent by God to certain individual believers that God chose to receive the Holy Spirit for, to enable them for a certain task, and usually for a certain amount of time. It might be to the end of their life, as in the case of Elijah, or it might just be for a certain time, and when that time comes to an end, as it does with Saul, the Holy Spirit leaves that person does not necessarily mean that that person is not saved. Does not definitely doesn't mean that they're saved and then unsaved. What it means is they're not indwelt. Believers individually, like we are today, are not indwelt in the Old Testament by the Holy Spirit. So they don't have that leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They need to go through the priest and through the prophet for the type of leading and direction that we can get through God's Word and the Holy Spirit working in our lives and convicting our hearts today. So we have a great advantage today as believers in that all of us are indwelt. We have this great privilege of being indwelt like the whole, by the Holy Spirit in a little bit different way than Saul is indwelt by the Holy Spirit here, where the Holy Spirit comes upon him for a time and makes it clear that the Holy Spirit has come upon him to everyone around him so that you know this is God's man. This is the man God is choosing in this passage. He's being anointed first with oil, and then he's anointed with the God's Holy Spirit. He's being anointed to be the king. And, and it has such a dramatic um, presentation here that people make a proverb of it. Is Saul among the prophets? And uh, as I just described. It's verse 12. So first we saw in Saul's anointing, he's anointed with oil, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, and then finally he keeps his anointing a secret. Look at verse, well, it's not a secret to the people who witnessed it, but to this, when he gets home, he's keeping it a secret from his family. Let's look at verse 13. 12? Okay, yes, 12. And one of the same place answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul among the prophets? And when he had made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said unto him, and to his servant, Whither went ye? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere, we came to Samuel. He's telling the full truth at this point. He's answering the question. And then he's going to leave it out at the end the rest of the story. Verse 15, And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, I pray thee, what Samuel said unto you. And Saul said unto his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys were found, but of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, he told him not. So he doesn't tell his, he doesn't tell his uncle about the anointing. He keeps it a secret for now. So that's the second event is, you know, first we saw that Saul was called to be the king in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, up to this point, we've seen that Saul was anointed to be the king. Now third, Saul is presented to the people, presented to Israel as the king. He's presented as the king in the, follow, in the rest of the chapter. Verse 17. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah. Mizpah, if that sounds familiar, uh, we saw that just last week. Mizpah was where the great victory that freed Israel from the bond, their bondage to the Philistines occurred back in chapter 7, where we saw a national revival in Samuel's leadership, his judgeship and uh, being the seer, the prophet, began uh, in, in, in full effect in that chapter where the people turned away from serving idols and God gave them the victory over their enemies, the Philistines. That was at Mizpah in chapter 7. Now in verse 18, at Mizpah again. And said unto the children of Israel, Samuel is saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms. Remember, they're at the same place where he delivered them out of the hand of the Philistines. And of them that oppressed you, 
And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And remember, their adversities and tribulations were brought upon themselves because they turned away from God. And God allowed them to be conquered by those people. And then they would turn back to God, and God would deliver them from those adversities and tribulations. In verse 19, again, the end of it. And ye have said unto him, unto God, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So here you see in the presentation of Saul as king, Samuel first gathers all the people together in the former place of victory, Mizpah, and reminds them how God had provided for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to the promised land. He gave them the land. And he gave them victory over their enemies as long as they were faithful to God. And when they weren't, he allowed their enemies to rule over them. But then when they turned back to him, they, he gave them deliverance again. And he's reminded them that just by having them back at that place of victory that we saw in, verse, in chapter 7. And now he goes on and admonishes them concerning their choice of demanding a king like all the other nations. He's, and we saw that also in, verse, in chapter 8, where Samuel said some of the same ideas to Israel and warned them about their choice. And they said, no, we still want a king. So he's reminding them one more time what they're doing, making it very clear. They're rejecting God. But now he's going to go forward with God's instructions and present Saul as the king. Verse 20. And when Saul, Amiel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. This is the, the, the law-casting uh, system here by which God is going to reveal his people, his choice of king. Verse 21, And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. So Saul, Samuel seeks to present Saul as the king, and Saul is hiding. Again, remember he protested against the honor Samuel began to give him in chapter 9, and downplayed his role as a Benjaminite, his house, you know, that he's the least of all Israel. He has, a, has that seeming humility that will disappear in future chapters. In verse 21, and they could not, could not be found. Verse 22, they, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And then they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. So he had to hide among the stuff. He couldn't hide among the people because his head and shoulders taller than everyone. So he's hiding among the stuff. They found him, brought him out, and look, he, he's standing head and shoulders above everyone else. Verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him, so he's presenting their king, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. I think that's what... Great Britain says, right? God save the queen. God save the king. It's been around a long time. But uh, they all recognize. They're all happy with God's choice because God knew what they wanted and he gave them exactly what they wanted. Kind of like that saying, be careful what you wish for. You might get it all. And God gives them what they want. He gives them just what they want. And it's not going to end up being altogether good, in the, as we'll see in the future chapters. Verse 24, And Samuel said to all the people, uh, not verse 25, And then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in the book. And we, we saw that last week. He told them what a king would be like. He tells them again and writes it in a book. And that may be this book of 1 Samuel. And laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. 
And Saul also went home to Gibeah. What we're all going to do soon is, is go home. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And they went with him a band of men whose hearts of God had touched. So notice that everyone now goes home. Saul is presented as the man that looks the part of a king. And everybody says, God save the king. In other words, yes, that's the guy. Thank you, God. Um, that's the man we're looking for. Everybody's happy. Everybody's uh, pleased. God has given them exactly what they wanted. And uh, everyone goes home for now at the end of this passage. And notice first, as everybody goes home, that Saul is joined by those who are moved by God to empower Saul to help in taking leadership, whose, whose hearts God had touched. And this doesn't necessarily mean in a spiritual way that their hearts were touched, but in an emotional way, they are very happy with Saul being the king, and they want to join themselves with him, perhaps so they can gain some position of leadership in the new kingdom. So they might, there might be some ulterior motives for that, but they are being faithful to God's choice. God had chosen him as being the king, and they're all for it. They're all excited. So this, their hearts being moved is referring to their emotional state, that they are excited, they are enthusiastic about God's choice of Saul as the king. And so they join themselves with him, and they go with him. Like, I'm, I'm following you. you know, they go home with Saul. They're going to be his bodyguards, perhaps, or try to seek a position in his government. Uh, they're all for him. They're going to support him, protect him, go with, go to war with him. Whatever he needs, they're his man. They're his men, uh, at least for this time, right here in verse 26. They go home, following him. In verse 27, not everyone, uh, not everyone accepts Saul as the king. Some scoff at Saul as the king. But remember, even David acknowledged Saul as the Lord's anointed. Saul was chosen by God for this time to be the king. So these are called children of Belial in verse 27. That's the idea of children of wickedness, children of evil, children of no good, no use, good use. That's the idea here of children of Belial. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. And he held his peace. So some wicked people saw Saul and perhaps they didn't like the fact that he was a little bit acting timid and hiding among the stuff. Maybe that's what they didn't like. Maybe they didn't like the fact that he was a Benjaminite. You know, maybe they had something against him for that. I don't know. Maybe they just knew him. Um, kind of like, remember, in Jesus in the New Testament, he's rejected by his own people of, from Nazareth because uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Perhaps they, perhaps they were from his hometown and said, now Saul, I know Saul, he can't be our king. Whatever the case is, they, they said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. So notice that for now, Saul has a, a degree of humility and he tolerates some people not accepting him. He seems to be understanding. He seems to be okay with it for now. In the future, you know, he seeks to throw a javelin at, his, at David and at his own son Jonathan for uh, defending David. So in the future, his attitude is going to change completely. Right now, he has the Holy Spirit in his life, the Holy Spirit empowering him. He's going to empower him to go and win a great victory over the Philistines, uh, in the, or excuse me, in the Ammonites over the Ammonites in the next passage as we'll see next week, uh, Lord willing, as we, unless he leads other, uh, elsewhere for next week. So just to, just to conclude, we've now seen three events here in these two chapters, chapters 9 and 10, uh, that describe God's granting Israel's demand for a king. First, in the first event, his calling of Saul to be king. Saul, and bring Saul to Samuel, and Samuel bring him forward to God and honor him. And then we saw Saul anointed to be the king, both with oil and with the Holy Spirit. And third, we saw Saul presented to Israel as the king. 
And we saw them very happy with that, for the most part. But some people, not so much. And the lessons that we can learn for this, from this is that uh, when whatever it is we desire, I think that was a key word tonight, when Samuel mentioned to Saul, is not the desire of all Israel back in uh, verse 20 of chapter 9, is not the all, desire of all Israel upon you. Israel's desire was for a king, and it was for a man like Saul to be their king, for the most part. Some people rejected him, but for the most part, they were, God saved the king at his coronation. And whenever we have a desire for something in our life, whatever that desire is, let's always ask ourselves, is this within God's will for us? And if it's not, let's give up that desire and align our desires with what God wants for us. Because God gives Israel what they desired here. And it doesn't end up being altogether good. It's for some good and defeating enemies and also teaching valuable lessons to the nation about their leadership and about God's will and how they should be submitted to God in following God's leadership for them in God's time. And sometimes we might want something in our life that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want a king, necessarily, but to want it in the wrong time or for the wrong reasons, as Israel did here, was wrong for them. They wanted a king, and they wanted him immediately, and they wanted one to be like all the other nations around them. So whatever we have a desire for, let's ask ourselves, is this within God's will for us? Is this the right time? Is this what God would allow for us or, or have for us at this time? And then let's go forward with that. Rather than demanding our own way and then having to learn and be corrected by God later on, which is what's going to happen with Israel, as we'll see in the future chapters. So let's be sure that we don't reject in any way God or his plan for us like Israel did here because of what their desire was rather than what God's plan. They rejected God. And very key also in this passage was when Samuel brought Israel together to, to present the king and said that they had rejected God which is what God told Samuel back in chapter 8. Any questions or comments? Yes, Betty.